You're listening to Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, of course, Vincent Hill. Today is Wednesday. It is March 13th. That's right. We are almost in April already. I swear it seems like it was just Christmas and New Year's and all that good stuff. But here we are almost in the month of April. So, you know that saying, um, time flies when you're having fun, but you know time also flies when you're busy as hell. And I'm sure all of us have been busy with our lives. I've been busy back and forth to New York, uh, in and out of hotel rooms and on a plane. It's not really fun. It's not as fun as most people assume it is. But, you know, I, I prayed a long time ago to be able to be in a position where I got to do exactly what I'm doing. So as much as it pains me sometimes to sit on a plane for two hours with my bad knees or to get into a hotel room after a long day, I'm thankful for my blessing, my blessings, I should say, as I'm sure we all are. Uh, listen, I want to get right to it because we got a lot to cover. I want to give you an update on Newman Raja, which I covered the last two episodes of Beyond the Badge. Uh, for those that didn't hear those episodes, I urge you to go back and listen to those. But Newman Raja uh, was a Palm Beach Gardens police officer uh, back in 2015 when he shot and killed Corey Jones uh, in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Of course, Newman Raja. He's not actually white. He's of Indian descent. Corey Jones was black. Uh, Newman Roger was on trial for murder and attempted first-degree murder. And just last week, he was found guilty of those charges. And if you listen to the other two episodes of Beyond the Badge, I talked about why I believe Newman Roger was in the wrong. Um, to give you a quick recap, Corey Jones was a stranded motorist broken down on the side of the road. Uh, he was on the phone with roadside assistance. He was right off an exit ramp on I-95 and PGA Boulevard in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, uh, when he saw a white Ford Econolodge van approaching from the wrong side of the exit ramp, essentially driving up the exit ramp. Uh, the, the van pulled in front of Corey Jones, uh, kind of in a uh, way to block him off guy gets out next thing you you know uh, there's six shots Corey jones is dead now uh, Corey jones was on the phone again with roadside assistance which captured the call newman raja who claimed stand your ground before he went to trial said he identified himself as a police officer and at which point Corey jones pulled a gun and started shooting or pointed a gun at him rather uh which uh, was not the case because the roadside assistance audio was crucial in the conviction of newman raja now uh, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback someone's decisions, but the tactics he used, being in an unmarked van, uh, plain clothes, jeans, inside-out T-shirt and a ball cap, and not identifying himself as a police officer, I truly believe Corey Jones thought he was about to be robbed or something like that, which is why he did pull out his gun, which he had legally. And quite frankly, whether he had the gun legally or not, you do have a right to uh, defend yourself against what you believe to be an imminent threat. Uh, so Newman Roger was found guilty, manslaughter, 
and attempted first-degree murder. The manslaughter carries up to 25 years, the attempted first-degree murder. And you're probably wondering why is he charged with attempted first-degree murder if Corey Jones died. Uh, because, there, again, there were six shots. Uh, in that recording, you can hear three shots, a 10-second pause, and three additional shots. So uh, the state said, well, those three shots were the attempted murder, and the three shots which did hit Corey was the manslaughter. And that Newman Roger could have reassessed the situation and determined not to shoot those uh, last shots. Um, but, yeah, I brought this case up for a few reasons. I said I would give you an update on it as I got it. And as of last week when, when I was talking about it, the jury was on jury watch. So they were deliberating, if you will. Uh, but, you know, I do want to point out it's sad on both ends. It's sad for Corey Jones' family, of course. They will never get their son back, uh, their brother back, their cousin back, their nephew back. Uh, you know, no matter how much money they may get from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, uh, it doesn't bring your loved one back. Uh, so that's something they have to deal with, the, with for deal with for the rest of their life. And then also, Newman Raja, uh, his wife, his daughter, and I believe he has a son as well. You know, they will never get a I guess they'll get to see him you know I mean he could face up to life in prison but they can go visit him in prison if they so choose to uh, but he won't be in their life as well and it's again as crazy and as uh, horrible as his tactics were uh, you know me being human uh, I do feel for the family because I was doing some reading last week and I read an article where while Newman Roger was still on house arrest, uh, he was asking for a special night out. It was his daughter. I believe she was seven or eight at the time. Uh, this was back in 2017. Uh, she was having a, a ballet recital at her school, and she wanted her dad to be able to go to uh, throw rose petals at her feet, and the judge denied that, uh, you know, because she said it would set a precedence of people that are under house arrest, which I totally get. But, you know, as a father, when you think about a little girl just wanting to see her dad throw rose petals at her feet, who really has no understanding of why her dad is in trouble and going to court and she's just an innocent seven-year-old girl, you know, that really does something to you. So now that little girl will definitely miss a lot um, of that father-daughter time, you know, which is hard to get back. You know, I was I was doing that job and... Yeah, I was a single dad raising my daughter at the time, and, you know, there were nights where yeah, I wouldn't see her. If I did see her, it was like when I would come in the house and she was already asleep, and then, you know, she'd get up for school and go to school, and I'd go to sleep for the entire day, and when she got uh, home from school, I'd wake up, I'd do dinner, and then it was it was back to work. So, yeah, I, I definitely understand those moments, you know, so... Yeah, I, I just say that to say this. It's it's tragic for both sides, Corey Jones and the family of Newman Rogers. Now, Newman Rogers due back in court April 26th to find out his fate. Again, the manslaughter up to 25 years, the attempted murder, 25 years to life. So if I had to guess, of course, the judge is going to take into consideration Newman, Newman Rogers had never been arrested before. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a record anywhere. So all of that comes into account during sentencing. So if I had to guess, I'd say he'd probably get about 15 years, 16, somewhere in there, maybe 20. Uh, I just don't see a life sentence in this. Um, 
You know, because at the end of the day, yes, we can prove that Newman Raja didn't say police when he approached Corey Jones, even though he said maybe in his mind he thought I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I can articulate to you is that Newman Raja was faced with someone that was armed. So, uh, again, I'm not excusing his horrible police tactics that night, but I can rationalize and understand a little bit better of why he reacted the way he did. And again, maybe he thought he said police. Maybe it was in his head, but he didn't say it. And maybe it's because it happened so fast. But back in court, April 26th to find out his fate. Now I want to switch gears to Chicago. Jesse Smollett. You know, I I didn't realize this, but his real name is Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N. So, of course, you know, he wanted to do the Hollywood thing and make it appealing. So he re package himself as Jesse, Jesse, but if you actually look at how it's spelled J-U-S-S-I-E, it's pronounced Juicy. But anyway, uh, you know that story. You know, he had said that he was attacked at 2 in the morning, uh, the coldest night of the year in Chicago, polar vortex by these MAGA supporters who use racial slurs and homophobic slurs. Turns out, as many of us already knew from the beginning, it was a lie. So initially he was charged with filing a false police report, but the Cook County Grand Jury came back and charged him with 16 counts of disorderly conduct, i.e. filing a false police report, which is a class four felony. Uh, So he's facing up to 64 years in prison because each count carries at least four years sentence. Now, will he get 64 years? I doubt it. Should he get some time? He absolutely should get some time because there's a lot of people that were affected by this. You know, a lot of people that may be conservative, me being one of them. But, you know, when you hear in the media, when you hear the word conservative and you hear this MAGA and you hear about this MAGA hat, you assume that it's only old white men or racist white men. So anybody even associated with that was affected by it. Um Anybody that is gay was affected by it because he also said, yeah, well, they called me uh, homophobic words. And anybody that was black and that has actually been attacked because they were black was affected by it. Anybody gay or lesbian that has been attacked and that were affected by it. Uh, because of their sexual preference, they've been affected by it. So not only should he go to jail, i.e. prison, and I hope this just doesn't come up with some probation community service bull crap, because this thing was so big. You use race, you use political, you use sexuality at a time where this country is already divided because of the mainstream media, and the mainstream media jumped on the story without having the facts, which propelled the story into this big snowball You need to not only go to prison, Jesse Smollett, but you need to apologize, not just to black people, not just to the Chicago Police Department, not just to ABC where you went on Good Morning America and lied, not just to gays. You need to apologize to the entire country because your hoax, your story, your stupidity affected the entire country. Country. Now, at a time where everyone's like, 
oh, well, this person said something 15 years ago. They should be fired. They, sh- they need to apologize. Hell, Kevin Hart didn't host the Oscars because of a joke or something he said 10-plus years ago about gays and people still demanding an apology before he would host the Oscars. And he was like, dude, I'm tired of apologizing. I've apologized. I'm not the person I was then. If it's that big when it's for something that people on the left or people in a certain sexuality or people in a certain race are passionate about, then they should be passionate about. They should not excuse the fact that Jesse Smollett said, well, it's because I go hard against 45, i.e. President Trump. They shouldn't exclude the fact, even though I've heard it on some of these major mainstream media networks where people are like, well, even though he lied, it is President Trump's fault and this MAGA hat is a symbol of racism and blah, blah, blah. If you're willing to excuse his actions, to try to justify his actions, to push your political beliefs, then you have a problem with that. That is not okay. Accountability is huge. He should account for his actions. You should not excuse his actions because you believe, oh, well, he's right that everybody that supports President Trump is a racist, so therefore it could have happened. It could have happened. The fact is it didn't happen. He hired two Nigerian dudes that also would sell him Molly ecstasy on the streets that they also probably had some other relationship that we still don't know about. And he pays him with the check to pull off this bogus, bogus uh, racial hate crime. Then he needs to apologize. And anybody that stands up for or tries to justify it saying, well, it could happen, then you're just as wrong as he is. You may as well have told the lie as well. Now, you know, I, I talked about Newman Raja and him going to prison. Uh, and, you know, on the show, we talked about Jason Van Dyke in Chicago, who was convicted of murdering Laquan McDonald. Uh, just last year, he was found guilty of that. And I was having a conversation at a restaurant yesterday with someone. And they were saying, yeah, well, of course, it only happens in certain communities is what they were saying. And this was a, a white person that's having this conversation with. And I, I, I said, let me stop you right there because that is not true. Uh, you know, but they were saying, well, this may set a precedence of officers going to prison for this injustices in the black community or their use of deadly force. And I said, well, no, not necessarily true. Every situation is different. Every situation is different. Uh, you know, and it reminded me of Stephen Clark. And I brought this up and Stephen Clark was killed almost a year ago, I believe, March of 2018. Uh, and just to give you background on that, um, grand jury came back and said, two officers that shot and killed Stephen Clark, an unarmed black man in Sacramento, will uh, not face any charges. And, of course, there's been protests. There's been all of that stuff going on up there. But, you know, when you look at the totality of the evidence, you know, when you compare Newman Raja, who was in plain clothes in an unmarked white van, who jumps out on someone that's broken down on the side of the street, who was on the phone with roadside assistance to Stephen Clark. There's no comparison. And give you a quick recap. March of 2018, March 18th to be exact, almost a year ago, police were called. Hmm, 
police were called. So guess what? Police show up when they're called. They were told that there was this kid breaking in the car, shattering windows. So police had a helicopter up. They spot Stephen Clark. Ground units show up. They try to approach Stephen Clark. He runs. He runs for some time, gets into a backyard. It's dark. The police are wearing body cam. He turns around with something in his hand, makes a motion. Police shoot him. They shoot, I believe, 20 times. He shot eight times. And the grand jury said it was justified. Now, of course, people in certain communities are saying it's not justified. It's only because he was a black man. And he was in his grandmother's backyard. Well, let's look at the totality of the evidence here. And again, I'm not saying uh, that I support it one way or the other, but I've done this job. So let's look at the totality of the evidence here. Police got a call of a crime in progress. Step number one, police just don't show up and start harassing people doesn't really happen sometimes police will investigate people on the streets yes but when police get a call they are required to respond to the call they can't say well i'm not going is the suspect black yes he is well i'm not going because i'm white they get a call they're required to investigate the individual starts running after the commission of a crime they commit another crime fleeing eluding police it's a crime. It's a misdemeanor. In some states, I think it's a class C or D felony. So he's eluding police. So police give chase. Now, let's dig into the fact that he's in his grandmother's backyard. At what point during this foot pursuit, after police arrive and see him breaking in the cars, did police learn that Stephen Clark lived at the house he was going to? Think about that. At what point did police say, you know what? I bet he's running to his grandmother's house. Uh, I can answer that question. It was at no point because during a foot pursuit, let me tell you how this works. The suspect is not saying, hey, my name is Stephen Clark. I live at 123 Main Street where I'm running right now. It's my grandmother's house. So I'm going to try to get in my grandmother's house before you guys catch me. And while the police are chasing, they are not saying, hey, my name is Joe Police Officer. What is your name and what is your address? And while you're running, are you running to a relative's house? So the fact that he was at his grandmother's house has nothing to do with the totality of the evidence because the police did not know that. And for all of those that want to still stick with he was at his grandmother's house, I can't tell you how many times I've seen suspects that I was chasing especially in certain parts of Nashville that would enter someone else's house that they're not related to attempting to evade me. So the idea that somebody wouldn't do that, if that's what you're thinking, you're sadly mistaken because trust me, it happens all the time. So when you all add up all of these factors, police get a call about a crime. They catch the individual in the act of the crime when they attempt to apprehend the individual he flees he goes into a dark backyard he turns around with something in his hand and that's another thing people it was a black cell phone i get that but police are trained to watch certain things certain movements 
those are the things that will get you killed. So let's say for argument's sake, it wasn't a black cell phone and it was a black gun. And then they say, well, I'm not going to pull the trigger because he's in his backyard. It could be his, it could be his grandmother's house. And even though he committed a crime and he ran from us, it could just be a cell phone in his hand. And I'm going to wait for confirmation to say, is that a cell phone? I'm actually going to ask, sir, is that a cell phone in your hand? And while I'm processing all of that, boom, I get shot five times and I'm dead. My partner's dead. And now we have to uh, explain to our families why we were killed because we were too concerned of figuring out if the object, the black object in his hand after the commission of a crime and after fleeing from police is a cell phone versus, man, this guy could be armed and he doesn't want to go back to prison or he doesn't want to go to jail because I'm going to let you in a little secret. People that flee from police, it's because they don't want to go to jail. People that shoot police, and if you don't think it happens, look it up. Go to the Officer Down Memorial page, odmp.org, and you can look at all the officers that have been shot and killed in the line of duty, even recently. So when you look at all of the circumstances, when that case went to the grand jury, and I think I may have even talked about it here on this show when it first happened, but, you know, I got so much going on, I can't remember everything. But I think I talked about it on this show. Uh, when it went to the grand jury, I said, I don't believe that this case, these officers will be charged. Because when you look at the totality, you can articulate why the officers believe they had to use deadly force in that situation. They're faced with a guy who turns towards them has a black object in his hand and he's making a what could be conceived, what could be perceived as an aggressive movement or a threatening movement towards the officers. So, there's no wonder those officers were cleared by the grand jury. But back to my conversation at lunch yesterday or dinner yesterday with this individual. Yeah, I, I said, hey, listen, every police shooting is not the same and it doesn't happen in just certain communities and I was surprised and this guy again he's an attorney uh, he's a white guy so you'd think he would be up on everything that happens but you know I guess he's not I guess he's trapped in the mainstream media and then I started mentioning names that he had never heard of he was like well who is that I was like well this is an unarmed white kid that was killed by police or this is you know uh, a female white female that was shot and killed by police white officers and I said you know you can't use the race card if the person that was killed by police is white and the officer that killed them is white you can't use the race card and he was just flabbergasted in fact I pulled out my phone and looked up a few of those names to show him like yeah see this really happens and again every situation is different when it comes to using force so that brings me to uh, my next clip, I want to move on to uh, uh, Harrisburg, PA, and jury selection uh, just finished, I believe, yesterday for former East Pittsburgh police officer Michael Rosefeld, who's charged with homicide and the shooting death of uh, Antoine Rose. Uh, I believe that happened 
last year, uh, yep, June of 2018. I'll just give you a recap in uh, this uh, shooting here. Antoine Rose, unarmed black man, uh, teen, 17 years old, and the officer, white officer. So once we remove that and get that out of the way, because yeah, I can, again, go down a list of how many white people have been shot by white police officers, uh, but that's what people love to hear. It was a white officer and, and a black individual that was killed. Uh, so back in June of 2018, police were called about a drive-by shooting. So again, police were called. The officer didn't wake up, just like with Stephen Clark, and say, you know what? I'm going to go out and kill this guy named Antoine Rose. Just like Stephen Clark, the officer had no idea who Antoine Rose was prior to June 19th of 2018. So, police get this call, drive-by shooting, here's the vehicle description, they see a vehicle that matches description. Guess what? When they stop the vehicle, there's bullet holes around the car, which and a shattered back window, which would probably suggest that this vehicle was involved in this drive-by shooting. You got shattered glass, you got bullet holes, I'm going to say it's probably involved in this drive-by shooting. Now, when police do the felony stop, uh, everybody gets out of the car, they start running. Mm-hmm. Antoine Rose runs. He's shot in the back three times by this officer who I think had just just uh, sworn in to the police department just a few hours earlier. Now, to be clear, he wasn't like a rookie rookie. He had seven plus years at another department so he had just sworn in a few hours earlier uh so uh turns out of course antoine rose was unarmed he was running away and it was captured on cell phone video now not to monday morning quarterback this officer when when you're talking about using deadly force especially when there's a fleeing felon there has to be so much criteria met uh a that the felon is a threat, an immediate threat, imminent threat to an officer. Officers are the public if their escape uh, is not prevented, right? So if this person, if they get away, they're going to go kill 30 people. That's the fleeing felon rule, all right? They're going to get away. They're going to go kill somebody. Boom. You know, I know they're armed. Boom. If I don't stop them, they're going to go kill somebody or kill me or something. So there are laws that allow officers to do that, but you have to meet those certain steps. Now, here's the problem I see, and just like I talked about with Newman Raja, and uh, that prediction turned out to be true, that he would be found guilty. The problem I see here, and when, when you watch the cell phone video, and I've watched it, there was at no point uh, anything that would lead the officer to believe that Antoine Rose was a threat. I mean, Antoine Rose was... He was hauling butt, and he wasn't turning back towards the officer in any way. So the officer can't come back and say, well, it's because he turned in an aggressive manner, and I thought he was armed. Like, it's clear that didn't happen there. Uh, so to be honest, you know, when you're talking about these cases, you know, they use words like reasonable. What would a reasonable officer have done? Uh, you know, you'd have to pull a bunch of officers to say whether they thought it was reasonable uh, to pull that trigger. Again, I watched it. I don't think so. 
um, you know, but it's up to a, a, a jury. You know, it's uh, two black females, jury of 12, two black females, one black male, and the rest they did not say. But I guess they had to throw out the fact that three three black people were on the judge or, or on the jury, I should say. Um, you know, and I'm sure the defense attorney is going to say, hey, it was a fleeing felon. We also found two guns in the car, which they did. Um, and, you know, the vehicle was just involved in this drive-by shooting, so it'd be reasonable to think that Antoine Rose could have been armed. And uh, I guess for argument's sake, that's a fair assessment. That is a fair argument. But was that imminent threat there against that officer or the public if Antoine Rose got away? And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Uh, you know, I think the jury will, even the the blacks that are on the jury, will listen to the evidence and listen to use of force policies and procedures, which will be presented in this case as it was in Newman Raja, and, you know, make the, the decision based on that. Uh, you know, so I say that to say this, you know, all of these police shootings, are not the same. There's there's not a precedence just because we've seen uh, Jason Van Dyke convicted and Newman Raja convicted. Uh, we also saw those two officers in Sacramento uh, not charged in the shooting death of Steph, Stephen Clark. You know, and we see this officer here in Pittsburgh or in Pennsylvania rather, Michael Rosefeld, who's going to trial, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be found guilty. Um, yeah. I personally think, just again, based on what I've seen, there's a chance that he will be found guilty. Uh, but, you know, again, it's it's up to the jury. So each police shooting is different. But I always say this, and I'll stick by it. Uh, it's the actions of an individual that cause a reaction. What was that saying in math class or science class or one of those classes? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. All right, if you run from me, I'm going to chase. Your action is to run. My reaction is to chase. You know, if you're breaking in the cars, then you flee, and then I'm in this dark backyard, and you turn towards me in an, an aggressive manner. Those are your actions. My reaction as an officer in that split second, thinking there's an imminent threat against my life, is to pull the trigger. So. You know, we, we can always have this conversation about police reform. We can always have this conversation about it only happens in certain communities, which is not true. Just ask the family of Dylan Taylor, shot three days after Michael Brown, and it never made it past the local <laughs> local news there. Or ask the family of the white female who was shot and killed by Georgia Highway Patrol uh, just last month. And those are the stories you don't hear. Uh, but, you know, it, it's uh, one of those things like a person's actions leads to the officer's reaction. Doesn't matter if they're black, doesn't matter if they're white. A person's action leads to an officer's reaction. So, you know, for all those people that keep saying we need police reform and everything's racial, you know. First, let's start having accountability. You know, let's not excuse that people are out doing crimes and then police get called and all of a sudden it's racial because police, when they get that call, they can't say, well, all we have right now available are white officers. Would you like to wait? No, when police get the call, they have to go. 
And when they say it's a black suspect, the officer on the other side of that radio can't say, well, I'm not going because I'm white. They have to take the call. Everything's not black and white, and we need to start preaching accountability just as much as we hear the word police reform out of certain communities. All right, I am out of time. I'm a little late for getting to an Atlanta Hawks game uh, with my son. So I want to thank you for listening. But before I go, I would be remiss if I didn't do my 10-7 segment. Tonight, I want to feature Deputy Sheriff Jacob Keltner, McHenry County Sheriff's Office, Illinois. His end of watch was Thursday, May 7, 2019. Deputy Sheriff Jacob Kelter was shot and killed as he and other members of the Great Lakes Regional Fugitive Task Force attempted to serve an arrest warrant in Rockford, Illinois. The task force located the subject at a hotel at 747 North Bell School Road. They were attempting to arrest the man at 9.15 a.m. when he opened fire with a rifle, striking a woman he was staying with. The man then exited the room and opened fire on officers who were outside, striking Officer Keltner. The man then fled from the hotel and led officers on a pursuit that lasted 150 miles. The vehicle became disabled on I-55 near Lincoln, and the subject was taken into custody after barricading himself inside the vehicle for several hours. Deputy Kelter was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds approximately six hours after being shot. He had served with the McHenry County Sheriff's Office for 13 years. He was survived by his wife, two young children, his father, and a brother who work in DePay County law enforcement and other family members. 9.15 in the morning, y'all. That's when that officer was shot. Like I just said, every situation is different. All right, I want to thank you for listening so much. I will see you same time, same place, right here, exclusively. RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.